We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Odo, and you are listening to episode 18, You Mulligan Too Much. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me. How are you doing this week, Travis? I'm handsome. How are you, Dave? I am also handsome. My beard is very luscious this week. (laughs) (laughs) So so this week, uh, this week's episode, we're going to talk about mulliganing. And uh, that's a fun word to say. So you've had some interesting conversations on your stream this week with viewers um, and suggested this topic. I think it's a very good topic. So we're going to spend most of the episode on that. But first, uh, since Aether Revolt is still fresh, I believe we have a couple of pick one, pack ones for you, as is tradition early in the format here, or at least we're starting to carve that tradition out. Um, and then we'll talk about a little bit about what we've done with our draft so far and our sealed so far and what we've seen be successful uh, before we roll into the mulligan talk. So do you want to start us off with a pick one, pack one? Sure. This was actually a pick one, pack one from the most recent draft video I did for seemsgoodmagic.com. In fact, if you're listening to this podcast on Friday, you will hear about this pa- pick before the draft even goes live. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So... Pick one, pack one. There's actually several reasonable picks here. Oath of Ajani, green-white for an enchantment. When it comes into play, all your creatures get plus one, plus one counters. It also has some text about Planeswalkers. Daredevil Dragster, that's the three-mana 4-4 vehicle. Cruise for two. After you attack or block with it twice, it pops for two cards. Reckless Racer, two and a red for a 2-3 first strike. When it's tapped, you may rummage. Druid of the Cowl, one and a green for a 1-3, tap it for green mana. And Prey Upon, green for a sorcery, target creature you control fights, target creature you don't control. That is way tougher than the pick one, pack one that I have for you. All right, so what I usually do when I when I get five or six cards that are close together is first I look to see if there's any cards I can eliminate just based on color uh, or colors that they share. So we'll start with the Druid and Prey Upon. Both are good cards. Early in the format, I was picking Prey Upon more, but I think if I was picking a green card between those two, I might lean more toward Druid um, at this point in the format, mostly because I think the good removal spells come from other colors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would rather have you know Chandra's Revolutions, um, the black removal spells, the white removal spells, the auras, uh, over prey upon so i think i'm if i'm playing green something i'm looking to pick up removal in my other color more than green that being said prey upon is totally fine and i have picked you know prey upon over shock for example um once or twice in this format already i th- just think i'm leaning more toward um druid and green between those two cards right now so then i'm comparing druid to the other cards you have oath gold mm-hmm. card it's i like oath but i like to get oath kind of late in the pack if that makes sense like i don't like to first pick it and lock myself down into those colors um green and white are very good but you might 
not play oath if you pick it first so i think i think i'd take druid over oath there and then you have uh racer and dragster so the dragster colorless i like this card even though i haven't drawn a lot of cards off it um most of the time it's just a 4-4 that attacks once and then gets removed or a 4-4 that attacks once and then trades for something um on the second attack so when it draws cards is really cool but other than that it's it's been just a 4-4 vehicle for me um and i haven't actually had a chance to play the looter so out of this pack for experiment purposes i might take the looter um and if the looter wasn't there i'd probably toss up between dragster and druid leaning toward dragster because it's colorless probably taking druid because i really like green okay i, I kind of went through the same mental hijinks myself i have played with the reckless racer it's quite good. Like rummaging is very effective once you've played out your six land or whatever. You just turn any lands into action. It does need to be able to attack for that to happen or be able to crew a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And in red, you're quite often incentivized to take vehicles. So I think the, the racer would be a legitimate pick. I do think I would take the druid out of the green cards. I took the dragster. It's colorless. I can put it in any deck. So any of these other cards that are about on par power level, I'd rather just take the colorless one and know that I get to play it. Um, oddly enough, the Oath of Ajani ended up wheeling, um, and I ended up in a blue-white skies deck and still played the the dragster. Nice. Yeah. I've seen Oath Wheel like I think I've done eight or nine drafts, and I've seen Oath Wheel at least three times. Yeah. So um I don't think it's a high priority on the first pick. Um the race the, the racer has first strike, right? Yes. So so that makes it a little bit better there too, because it's really good on defense being mm-hmm. a two three. Um, but also you can just attack early on and not have like not worry about the double block and the things like that so um you can get your rummage on quite early with that card so that's a good pick one pack one the only downside with with that side is you don't really want the rummage early because you don't necessarily like looting you loot all the time right you draw the card Mm. and then discard it rummage you're not always in for that so i I think it's more of late game action but yeah the fact that it has first strike on a solid body it multiple ways to get it tapped I, i i think it's a very strong card too and i also think i do believe red is good in this format uh, I drafted a really sweet red deck the other night that I would like to talk about because I have come around on red, I think, a bit so far. Um, okay, my pick one, pack one is only between two cards. Um, it was a bit of a bust on a, a pack-wise, uh, which is kind of unfortunate, but um, it asks you the question, um, which, well, basically, which do you like more? Do you like a white flyer or do you like, uh, or sorry, white evasive or do you like red evasive? Um, so we're going to go... Dawn Feather Eagle, which is four and a white for the three three flyer that has the anthem plus vigilance built in for a turn, uh, so it's plus one plus one to your team. Uh, versus the Sweatworks Brawler, which is the three and a red three three with menace with improvise. Brawler, easy. You like the brawler? Yeah, I like the brawler a lot. Um, the most fun decks I have made, and the kind of the coolest decks I have made, have been uh, black red improvise or blue red improvise. And the Brawler's a pretty high pick for both of those. The Eagle's great. Like, I'll play it. But sometimes you're not ahead of your opponent. And I've had so many times where I draw the Eagle, I'm behind, and I play it, and I get Vigilance and don't have any attacks. And then Mm -hmm. I trade the Eagle off for their stupid 3-2. And I'm like, that was a great card. Whereas the the Brawler, like, if you have to trade it off for their thing, I mean, sure, you did. It's a Hill Giant, worst-case scenario. Those are fine. The fact that you can cheat it out and it's so good at attacking. And my goodness, give me a combat trick. Like even precise strike is just great with that thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I I would snap up the brawler there. That's fair. What about Sweatworks Brawler versus Chandra's Revolution? Pick one, pack one. 
The reason I ask that is because I ended up with a draft the other night where I passed multiple Sweatworks Brawlers to take my f- second and third Chandra's Revolution, and I'm not 100% certain that that was correct. I think I take the first Chandra's Revolution over the first Sweatworks Brawler, and then when I'm faced with the same conundrum again, I probably take the first Sweatworks Brawler. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the Revolution is quite premium removal level because it, it's still not killing vehicles which is a, a a big minus side on it. Like if they're just sitting there with a monster truck waiting to block you with it, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I've been really impressed with destructive tampering too. Like when you throw that in the mix, I, I definitely want one of those in my red decks, but I, I think I like one Chandra's revolution. And then if I can pick up another great, but maybe I, I want the, the brawler first, especially if, if I've already got some of the two, one artifact pikers. Seems fair. Seems fair. Um, I mean, I guess this is a good segue into kind of the decks we've been drafting and, and playing sealed. So um, have you had anything in particular that you have really have had good success with so far or any decks that kind of stand out to you? I always try to draft what's open, obviously, and, th- and that's the direction that I go. I've also played a lot of sealed, uh, some PPTQs, got a PTQ coming up on Sunday that we'll be streaming. Um, I-, I found red to be quite good. I found blue to be quite good. Green is quite good. Um, I- I'm kind of not liking white a lot. Like Strange. it feels like white might actually secretly be the worst color and like green, red and black are really close up to the top and blues just under them, but still there. And then white's kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, like blue, white flyers is a thing and red, white aggro is a thing, but it's like, as soon as you can resolve anything with four in the butt, they just scoop. I'm trying to figure out why white feels underwhelming. Maybe, maybe the top end on white is really good. And the, the, the bottom end of white is really bad. Like maybe the gap between them is really good because they still have really good rares. Um, and, you know, like if you're playing a revolt deck, the geode miner is still good and the solemn recruit is still good. The angel's good. But like after that and then the removal, like it kind of just falls off a cliff. Like the white sure, revolt we'll cards th- suck. Uh, some of them do. What, name one that doesn't. Solemn recruit. Okay, sure. Does, <laughs> I mean, okay. The, the uncommon and common revolt cards are not that good in white yeah like you're you're not excited to play a countless gears renegade and you're not necessarily going to go out of your way to trigger revolt all the time right like i had a a bit of a conundrum the other day where it was do i play a, a renegade on two or do i wait until turn uh or do i play something else on turn two and then wait and try to pop something like my map or something on turn three so that i draw my land to play on turn four and then play my Countless Gears Renegade there so that I can make a servo. And it's like, well, the servo doesn't matter. It's It feels like, unless you're really abusing that. Yeah. Um, where I found white to be good was in the Hidden Stockpile deck, which was one of the first draft decks that I had in the format where Hidden Stockpile plus the Countless Gears Renegade helped get that engine going mm-hmm. to start. So you could make a servo and then make another servo and then just keep sacking servos the rest of the way and always have two, one or two left to 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 hang out and block with, but like the harpooner has been underwhelming. I don't think I've killed a single thing with a harpooner. Um, unless you're playing the Felidar guardian, it feels like you're, you're not getting any value off of your white, uh, revolt creatures. The black revolt is just seemingly so much better. And that's just because I was vengeful rebel. Yeah. Right. And like the night market lookout, uh, or the, the aeronaut, which one is it? The one that's the two, two that becomes a three, three. It's decent, but nah, it's, it's, I don't like it. 
it's better than the countless gears renegade in its slot i mean right like you would rather have a 2-2 or a 3-3 flyer versus a 2-2 and a 1-1 on the ground sometimes for two i think um plus you can just fill those spots like a lot of the white cards get replaced or get outclassed by the cards that come around in kaladesh Mm -hmm. it's also a format that's not very friendly to x1s Mm. And white is looking to capitalize on a three, one that can't be blocked by artifact creatures. And I've done a lot of damage with that dude. Like it's not bad, but there's just a ton of X one hate. Um, so it, it feels like white's in a weird spot. And then it's, it's removal is, is not bad, but it's all the enchantment based removal. And like we had appetite for the unnatural before there's still plenty of different ways to get around enchantment based removal in, in this format and people are main decking them. Yeah. I mean, the floor on white is not that low, though, right? No, no, no. We're not talking about green and Battle for Zendikar, Black and Avacyn Restored. You can still play it, and I'm going to play plenty of white decks. I'm just saying, from my experience so far, white doesn't seem to be as good as the the big three of Jund colors, basically. And then blue's right under them. Like, you give me some Aether Swoopers, and we can do something. That's true. Seems I can get all the Cotton the Brights that I want, though. Like I keep seeing it seventh pick pack one and I'm like, like I, I draft a lot of white because I end up getting like, I draft like five on color cards and then I get past the six pick cotton of reds. I'm like, well, I guess we'll, you know, white will be a support color. Actually, I found white is a good support color. And um, like if you end up with the the aeronauts, the the revolt life gain guy and a Felidar guardian, you know, then you're doing it. But the countless gears renegades are are kind of underwhelming so far. And the harpooner, I don't, I picked a harpooner on the wheel and I wasn't even happy about it the other day. So I don't know. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. No, no, no. I don't think you're doing it wrong. I, I think why does a support color make sense to me? Like 10 anything cards, seven white cards. We're in business. And, and you're right. The aeronaut dude that blinks and give you, gives you life or revolt gives you five life. That's a very strong card. Mm-hmm. Um, What about some cards like or like uh, archetypes that have sur- surprised you? Color combos that surprised you? Anything that's uh, kind of struck you out of left field like hey this is really cool it 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 surprised me initially and i've already mentioned it but blue red is just amazing it went from basically not being a deck i think and i mean i draft a lot dave i stream roughly 40 hours of magic a week um and, and then play a ptq on sundays usually so i've played a lot of kaladesh and i think through the entirety of that format i had two blue red decks like that color combination just didn't come together very often. And now all of a sudden it went from being something that you hardly ever do to when it comes together, just kind of being a nut stack. Yeah. So like the key players in that are obviously the Aether Swoopers to make servos for your improvise, right? That's kind of the, what you're driving at. Those guys, uh, the two, one first strikers that make a mm-hmm. servo, um, the Sweatworks brawler, um, the, the gold card that farts out, uh, thopter tokens like there's there's so many things working there and the other thing that really surprised me about this format is i've been playing some 15 land decks dave renegade maps we had that uh conversation last time um renegade map is really good it's i mean it's basically evolving wilds it's very similar but i i played a 15 land deck with no renegade maps how did you do that oh improvise improvise i also had another one that was green and had two green implements and two it it was basically mono green splashing for uh destructive tampering it had that and two of the enchantments that you could sack to cycle uh and four druid of the cowl so i i just didn't need the land 
That's kind of amazing. Mono color is so easy to do that though. And I'm kind of impressed you got a mono green deck, to be honest. I kept waffling on what my second color was going to be until I realized that I didn't need one. Didn't have a second color, didn't need one. Yeah. Um, monstrous, was monstrous Onslaught, right? That's the five oh. mana. Oh, God. Speaking of green, that card has been bonkers. Um, and even when for me it, it, it hasn't been good, it's still a two for one most of the time. Yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's not hard to engineer a board state where that card's going to be good. Just have a creature in play. It's limited, dude. Yeah. It's very, very good. Um, I had a really sweet uh, teamer deck the other day it was blue green splash red and the red splash was for virtuoso and the thopterist so um yeah it it turned out to be actually really interesting we ended up with like a just a random chief of the foundry and and things like that to pump all the thopters and there were multiple times where um you know i was just make thopters make thopters have a bunch of energy left over play chief and then swing for like eight in the air um also had a uh What's what's the name? Rick Rickshaw Pima Renegade? Rickshaw. That's what it is. Um I had one of those making Thopters two twos and three threes and things like that, and it was very, very good. Um I believe that draft though, I lost to uh his expertise uh twice. One <laughs> opponent drew seven cards on me. So they played a barricade breaker the turn before. I couldn't remove it because it didn't have any hard removal, like my prey upons weren't in my in my hand or anything like that. And then they uh, they drew seven cards and played a, a tiger for for free, and then essentially rolled me. So that was pretty sweet. But nice. green has been green has been very fun so far for me. Um, so we talked a bit. Oh, go ahead. How do you feel about this set versus other sets that you've played recently? How does it compare to Kaladesh Standalone? How does it compare to Shadows, Battle for Zendikar, Dragons of Kar- Tarkir? Like, where does this set line up for you? It doesn't feel like the best to me. Like, I think the the mantle for that goes to the cons block, for sure. Um, probably just triple triple cons. I really liked Shadows, and then I was terrible at Eldritch Moon. <laughs> and then I liked Kaladesh, and then so far I have not been great at uh, Aether Revolt. But I think I like it more than Kaladesh, to be honest. Um, the vehicles are, are still cool. The energy's still cool. Um, but it doesn't feel like Trainer Bust in this format, which Kaladesh kind of did. Um, and there's a lot of really cool lines of play. Actually, I think this is one of the more um, skill-intensive formats of, of the last few blocks. I think Shadows has that beat because of the madness and kind of sequencing things there. But this one has a lot of interesting decisions with Revolt and Renegade maps and, you know, when do you crack? When do you not crack? When do you try to get your Revolt? Um, what do you spend your energy on? How do you maximize your improvise and deck building and things like that? Like, I've caught myself, not really caught myself, but I've been playing the Red Implements, which are not good. Unless you have a lot of improvise and then they're great, right? Yeah. And so you kind of have to, like, make these interesting deck building decisions. Um, but I think Shadow still has the mantle for that one for me. And cons will just be the most fun because of the morph. But it, it's, you know, top 50% for sure. It's definitely not in the bottom 50%. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I was pretty vocal about Kaladesh not being my favorite limited format. And I've come around. I'm actually having a good time playing this. I enjoy drafting it. I'm excited when I fire up the stream and I'm like, let's draft some Aether Revolt. Whereas as Kaladesh, about midway through it, I was kind of like, oh God, let's do anything else. Um, And and I think that this one has a little bit more legs to it. I I think that the vehicles are still a bit pushed, uh, but they're not pushed as far as they were in Kaladesh. So just kind of getting rid of 
three packs of, of Renegade Freighters, I think did a lot for the format for me. So I'm I'm much happier Aether Revolting than I was Kaladeshing. And that said, Kaladesh was still fun. It was mm-hmm. just fun for like 20 drafts instead of 100. That is absolutely fair. And um, one thing I want to talk about uh, maybe on the next podcast is um, I have the second set blues. And it's not really blues because I don't like the second set. It's the second set blues because I'm terrible at them. I've been charting my, I've been going back and charting my win rate. So I keep track of all of my drafts in in a spreadsheet and my win losses and things like that. And there's a noticeable pattern where I'm, my, my win rate goes way up for the first set in a block and then goes way down and then goes way up for the first set in the next block and then goes way down. And I've been trying to figure out why. So if, if this pattern continues and I ended up not liking the format because I'm terrible at it, I will like it as a limited format, but if I'm terrible at it, I might hate it for other reasons. Um, (laughs) But I, I might come back and, and say like, hey, let's try to figure out why this is. But so far, it's been good. I 3-0'd a draft the other night. Um, I've only done like 10. Um, and my win rate's moving up since I started. So so it's it's pretty good. I think I'm around 60%, which is, I mean, it's below my lifetime average, but it's good for me. But um, fun is the most part. And I've definitely drafted some sweet decks. I've had some train wrecks, but it's renegade, maps are, yeah, renegade maps are a lot of fun to play with. And building decks around improvise and... Chandra's Evolution and things like like it's just a lot of fun cards. If if there was ever a plane for train wrecks, it's Kaladesh. <laughs> it is Kaladesh. All right. Have you had your fill on talking about uh, uh, Aether Revolt? Yeah, I think I'm good here, and I'm excited to talk about why you mulligan too much. Why I mulligan too much? No, you, the listener. Why you mulligan too much? Uh, okay. Well, we're gonna take a very quick break, and then we'll be back with the mulligan talk. Don't go away. Dave Seville, you mulligan too much. You're a liar. No, I actually went through and did a lot of math to prep us for this. And I have some things to share with you. The biggest one being that I think if you didn't mulligan at all, ever when you play limited, that your win percentage would probably go up and that you're probably sending back hands that you should be keeping. We've got a lot of examples to go through and chat with you and kind of help explain that philosophy. So buckle in. We're going for a little bit of a long ride, but I think the journey will be worth it. I did all of this math using what is known as a hypergeometric calculator. I had seen uh, Michael Jacob, who's another streamer that I watch quite a bit, use one at StatTrek.com. There is also one built into MTGOBot. Uh, most of the magic streamers that you bump into are going to have MTGOBot. You can type exclamation point odds. I double checked the math for like the first 10 things I did to see that it showed the same odds on both things. The only difference was the actual nerd calculator ran it out to like a million decibel points, whereas MTG bot does not. So let's start with something very basic. Should you keep a two lander on the play, on the draw, if your deck is 17 lands and 40 cards? Dave, what does your gut tell you? My gut tells me, assuming if I cannot see the other cards in my hand, um, I do some quick napkin math and I come to the conclusion that I am very likely to get my third land by the time that I need it, both on the play and the draw. Obviously, I'm better on the draw, um, but on the play, I just know from experience that I have a really good shot at hitting my third land on time, which is important. And of course, if I have a two drop in my hand or I have a bunch of six drops, you know, maybe that changes things. But generally speaking, you know, two lander needing a third land, you should get there a lot of the time. 
Yeah. It's, it's almost never right to mulligan a, a, a two-lander, whether you're on the play or the draw. If you don't need a specific color, it, it's just crazy to do so. You have a 71% chance to hit your third land with two draws. So like if you're on the play and an 85% chance to hit your third land with three draws if you're on the draw. Um, even after that, you're roughly about 47% to hit a land um, for each card that you draw. So like, just keep the two landers. I've seen people be like, well, this this hand only has two lands. I got to send it back. The, the main reason I'm advocating against mulliganing as much as people do in limited actually comes down to what mulligans are for. I'm going to take you way back because people talk about the Vancouver mulligan. Before that, there was another radical change in Magic Mulligans. When I started playing, there were two scenarios under which you could mulligan. One was if your hand had all lands, and one was if it had no lands. In either case, you had to show the land to your opponent, and then you could mulligan. That was it. You had to keep all one-landers. You had to keep all all all-landers. You didn't have to make a decision at all. The decision was basically made for you when you looked at your opener. So that rule was changed, and now we can choose at any time to go down a card to get a a new look. And the main place where this has an impact is in Constructed. It's not in Limited. Let me walk you through a few things here. I didn't know a whole lot about Constructed. I had played some standard way back in the day, but I accidentally qualified for a regional uh, PTQ with Modern. I practiced Jund for about two months. I zero-twoed the event. Then the next week, I played in a modern P- uh, PTQ finals um, and came in ninth place. <laughs> so what did you learn in that week? <laughs> it, 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 I didn't actually learn anything in that week. I just had two you know, rough draws in the beginning of the tournament. Like one individual tournament does not make or break you. But I have five owed leagues with Jund. I have zero three lead, leagues with Jund. I got a lot of experience playing mo- modern. And like there's seven land hands that you can have in a modern Jund deck that are simply not keepable. Like a bunch of uh, red and green sources, two Lilianas and a Huntmaster, all of a sudden doesn't look like a good hand. It's not fast enough. Like in Jund, generally speaking, even in the blind, I wanted to have a discard spell. I wanted to have a two drop threat. I wanted to have at least a two drop removal spell if I didn't have a bolt. That's where those things matter because in, in modern, especially the game is in many cases, essentially over by turn three or four. And that's just not the case in limited. The numbers here tell us something very specific. Um, a long time ago, MTG Goldfish, which is where these stats you're going to hear came from, was able to actually data mine things on on Magic Online. They're not able to do that anymore. I, I understand there's some thoughts about the pros and cons of that, but I'm not here to discuss this. I'm just looking at the data that we do have. In the the latest four sets that they've analyzed. Uh, which are uh, Fate Reforged, Dragons of Tarkir, Magic Origins, and Battle for Zendikar, they've given us the percentage of people who win a game after a mulligan. In Dragons of Tarkir, Fate Reforged, it was 37.52% to win if you went to six cards, down from roughly 50% if you kept seven. In Origins, it was 37.3%, down from roughly 50%. And in Battle for Zendikar, it was 38%, down from roughly 50%. So in all of these cases, you're giving your opponent something close to a 12% edge to beat you by mulliganing. That kind of surprises me because the Vancouver mulligan came in around Origins, um, especially for Magic Online. I believe it was in for Origins. 
So I'm very surprised that it stayed consistent between Dragon's Origins and Battle for Zendikar. Um, I would have expected that the Vancouver Mulligan, which is the Scry 1 Mulligan, um, would have increased those percentages quite a bit. I imagine that it did some very wacky things to Constructed, because again, there are times where you're just looking for something very specific. I need to have my turn one discard spell. This hand's great if I can draw a Dark Confidant or a Termagoyf or a Scavenging Ooze, etc., and that's not really the case with limited. With a 40-card deck, you can't mulligan looking for a specific card uh, unless it's pack rat and you're running 39 swamps, right? So mm-hmm. th- the idea is a lot of people would look at that and say the Vancouver mulligan must have changed this. We're looking at 82,887 games of Battle for Zendikar. That's with the Vancouver mulligan rule. And going to six puts you at 38% down from 49.7 on the play and 50.3 on the draw. If you go to five, you're at 21% to win that game. At four, you're at 11%. And they didn't even bother counting molds to three because who cares? You're dead. I think I've won once with a mold to three in the entirety of the time I've been playing Magic. Oh, it feels so good. I've done that twice. It does feel so good, but it, it hardly ever but, happens. Yeah, it's it's magical Christmas land there, right? Yeah. So why does your win percentage go so far down when you when you mulligan? Um, it, the easiest way to answer that question is, Dave, what is the coolest thing you can do in limited? <laughs> you can win. No, um, winning is obviously a thing, but name for me a card that you've really loved in limited. That I've really loved in limited. Yeah. Okay, one that's just Anything. an awesome card. How about the Ridge scale Tusker? Ridge scale Tusker. Okay. That's, that's a great card. What it's doing for, I'm going to give you another example and let's just think about this for a second. <laughs> Ridge scale Tusker. I can draw the parallel to, but, uh, flame tongue Kavu. Mm-hmm. what's so good about that card it kills things it's two for one i see where you're going you're getting two for ones yes when you, How do you mulligan, get two for ones yeah when i mean when you use a combat trick and they've double blocked and you get a two for one you're like yes i'm winning this game when you mulligan you're just handing your opponent a two for one right off the bat just saying let's start this game out with you getting a two for one now, as, as this game has, Magic used to only be about value and trades like that and getting two for ones. And as we've gone forward and the, the power level of the, the sets has been pushed a little bit, that's not always the case. So I'm not seriously saying that you should never mulligan anything. And we'll talk about some scenarios where maybe you should and you shouldn't. But I want you to be aware that as soon as you go to six, you are handing your opponent a two for one right then. It's like, let's just start the game with you cast a divination for free. Let's just start the game with you cast a mind rot for free. Let's just assume you're going to blow me out with a combat trick and then start playing. And that's a colossal handicap to put yourself under. It, in the, the the points I made earlier about why you mulligan and when you mulligan, it's in constructed when you need a specific card. And a lot of people start playing magic with a kitchen table deck. And then one of their buddies helps them upgrade it to a standard deck. And they learn things. Like if this deck doesn't have you know, a two drop creature, a three drop creature and a removal spell, I have to mulligan. And that's very reasonable and constructed where you're looking for a specific card and the game will sometimes be decided in five or six turns. That's simply not the case in limited. In most games of limited, even in Kaladesh where there were freighters, you're still getting to turn six. So it's not just the seven cards that you have in your hand. It's the next six, which roughly every one in three is going to be a land. So like, that's why I say it's so awful to mulligan it, it's really a big deal so essentially what you're looking for is maybe opportunity cost is the wrong but you're looking wrong wrong term but you're looking for what your expected uh win rate is so if, so if you if you look at your hand and it's 
in the dark, it's 50% to win, right? Like sometimes it changes on the play on the draw, depending on the format or whatever. But generally speaking, looking at these stats, you're about 50% to win with seven cards, period, over a, over a large sample size. If you look at your seven and you say that, you know, looking at this hand, you have less than 38% chance to win, you're, you're, you're probably getting into mulligan territory. Those generally only happen with seven cards if you can't play magic, right? Or you, or you, you, you can't play magic for like six turns. So you have to be very certain that, you know, you're, that the hand that you're looking at is less than 38% to win. If it is less than 38% to win, then you should start thinking about mulliganing to six. If it's more than 38% to win, you're just giving up equity, right? You're giving up two percentage points, 12 percentage points, whatever it is. Just keeping in mind that there's a reason why seven, there's a reason why seven card hands win 50% of the time. And it's because you have cards in your hand in limited cards in hand. That's how you get your two for ones. That's how you play creatures is how you play chump blockers. You just have more cards in your hand. You have more options. Um, you need to make decisions. You mean you make fewer decisions, I would say in limited than you do in constructed. Um, but those decisions are probably more important because you're trying to set the game up to win with your bombs or your, your, key removal spells you don't have a deck jammed full of answers you're trying to make limited or you're trying to make use of of your limited answers so having those decisions in hand and knowing that you have a good removal spell in hand versus you know going down to six is is you know so much more important and that's why the seven card hands win so don't give up that 12 percent unless mulliganing is an improvement for you um you should really consider not mulliganing most of the time Yep. And I'm not just going to leave dear listeners there. I'm going to walk you through how to figure out what that percentage is and how to think about this. We're, we're just getting started on this journey. Um, before we go any further, I do want to take a moment to talk about probability and how that works. So Dave, play along with me here. If I, I if I flip a coin, what is the chance it lands on heads? One and two, 50, 50, 50, 50. If it lands on heads, what are the chances that if I flip it again, it will land on heads again? So those that do not know statistics will tell you that it is 25%. Those that do know statistics will tell you that the first instance does not matter, does not impact the second instance, unless you're looking at the group as a whole. So the answer there is 50, 50. We need both of those concepts for mulliganing uh, or, or to determine if we should mulligan or keep one landers um, because you need to know that if you miss your first one but you still have another draw and hitting it on the second one is fine you need to know that that is 25 percent for or you know 25 percent to miss 75 percent to hit for example but in your case the first instance does not impact the second instance and you're still 50 50 exactly thank you very much that's why we're using this fancy hypergeometric calculator or odds machine to figure these things out for us there's also a, a little bit of difference in the set that we're looking at of cards in your deck. We've called the Schrodinger's card a good bit on stream, uh, which I think is cute. But if you have, you know, 15 lands left in your deck and your deck is 30 cards, it's pretty easy to work out that you've got a 50-50 shot at drawing a land. Mm-hmm. If you don't draw one, the chance actually goes up a little bit for the next draw. Not by much, but by 52, because we're working with a limited set so in this case, that's where what Dave was getting at. Each draw does affect your likelihood of the next. With me? Yes, yes, absolutely. So when you're looking at at you know one card out of my next three, 
you have to factor in the fact, well, I didn't draw it in the first one. I didn't draw in the second one. You know, you're looking at the whole set of three instead of individual ones, but there's different times to apply both of those rules. Um, and, and so you just have to be aware of that. A lot of people stumble with that in statistics. Um, that's like a common failing in, in statistics classes in university, I'm sure. Um, but if you ever have any questions, just ask in chat and somebody will point you in the right direction. One, one of my favorite examples for this, and I'm going to go a little bit off topic. It's way back to when Travis was a salesperson. So, and, and it was just someone not grasping statistic, I think, or probability, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you can even tell me what this is. So there was this thing where if you sold enough stuff, you got to spin a wheel. There's 30 numbers on the wheel. And if it lands on the number that you picked, you win 20 bucks, which was pretty cool, right? Right. So every single time I won, they said, Travis, what's your number today? And I said, one. <laughs> and I and spun like, it. It's never going to hit one. You're crazy. It, no, it wasn't that. I just did that. And then one of the guys finally said, you're really smart, man. I see what you're doing. You're picking one every single time because every time you don't hit one, that means you're getting a little <laughs> bit closer to the one. That's you're getting not how there. that works. And That's I said, not how that works. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm picking one because it literally doesn't matter what number I pick. There's not actually a choice here. Like they could just not have numbers and have a bunch of red dots and one green dot. It makes no difference what number I pick. So I'm not wasting any mental energy on what to pick. And he's like, well, that's just not how that works. And I was like, you're right. I got to go sell some things that, yeah, that is how that works. I find debating statistics with people that don't understand is a lesson in frustration and it, it's 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 no knock on people that don't understand statistics like you know some people don't get math some people don't get certain types of math you know i struggle with certain concepts and other in other in other topics like that's that's fine you're not any less of a person if you don't understand how, how statistics work but <laughs> the the number of times that i've run into to somebody that that doesn't get the concept of you know lottery numbers for example oh this is a great example um, I once got a lottery ticket. I never buy lottery tickets, but when I do, I go like the numbers are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Actually, that's really bad. I shouldn't do that because there's a lot of people that probably do that. But if I pick a bunch of numbers in sequence and they look at the ticket, and they're like, why would you do that? Then what are the odds of the numbers coming up? The one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I was like, it's the number. It's the same as them coming up with seven of the random numbers. It doesn't matter. Like the numbers that I pick is still one out of a billion possibilities. But they just don't understand that. Or roulette players are the worst for that. You know, they'll see the big board of roulette numbers that have come up in the last 30. And they're like, oh, I'm going to bet on double zero because it hasn't come up yet in the last 30. And it's like, it doesn't friggin' matter because the roulette wheel doesn't have a memory. Yeah. Right. And the casino is aware of that. And that's why they're showing you those 30 numbers, because that'll get you to bet. Exactly. And it, but, it, I also would agree with not knocking people who don't understand statistics or don't have a good head for this. But I would say if you want to get good at magic. Listen to what we're saying here. Yes. And and my last point before we go into some crazy specific examples, and this is the hard one for a lot of people, is you have to divest emotion from this. You absolutely have to. Um, I'm going. To, I'm not going to tell you which is which. I will tell you that I had two situations where chat drastically disagreed with me about mulliganing. And, you know, you know, Twitch chat, Twitch chat is wonderful. I love you guys. I'm glad you're, you're watching the stream. Thank you. But Twitch chat can be a fun experience. In one of them, I, I actually drew the 10% and lost horribly. 
In the other one, I drew the 68%, easily won, and had half the people in chat saying how lucky I was. But you have an advantage when you're playing on Magic Online. Go right now to to my stream and type exclamation point odds, or go to Dave's stream and type exclamation point odds. You can use this tool. You can go to StatTrack and pull up the hypergeometric calculator and use this tool and find out that information. If I bust out a pen and paper or a calculator at a GP, they're going to call a judge on me, and they should. I shouldn't be doing that. don't have time to do that math. But you've got 25 minutes on your clock, man. Use it. Once you've done that, accept what the odds are and then step away. If I do the math and my hand is 70% to draw the land that I need to get there, I'm good to go. That's all I want. If I don't draw it and I lose, that doesn't mean I made the wrong decision. I would argue that I made the right decision every time. One of the examples was keeping a one-lander. I hardly ever do that, but the math said this is absolutely what you should do. And I would argue that when I did draw the lands, curved out and wrecked my opponent, I didn't get lucky. Getting lucky would have been not drawing the land. (laughs) Because for me, getting lucky is beating the odds. I didn't beat the odds. I just recognized what they were and went with it. So don't get mad when you do the math and you're like, I should keep this. And then you don't get there. Be like, oh, screw math. Math is wrong. And and don't gloat about it when you check the odds and then the odds are with you. You keep the hand and you get there. Just remove all that emotion from this. We're just talking about, do you want to win more at limited? If so, let's walk through some examples. Do you want to win more at limited, Dave? I love winning at limited. So yeah, let's, let's go through some examples here. We can do a little bit of a deep dive. Um, and then I want to come back to your GP comment about not being able to calculate it. And maybe we can talk about um, just different breakpoints in there and, and, and just estimating these things, because there's a lot of things you can do for just, if you don't have a calculator in front of you, you can, you know, get close to what the actual number is enough to make a decision. So I want to come back to that after these examples. Okay. I'm going to walk you through first from a sealed PPTQ that I did on February 5th. I'm on the draw. The opener is Mountain, 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 Aether Herder, Druid of the Cow, Riparian Tiger, and Nissa Vital Force. The deck has nine forests. Do we Ooh, keep? That's a rough one. So if you don't draw a red card or a uh, green source, you are not playing Magic. Correct. If you draw a green source, you are large and in charge. Nissa's is one green green, right? Or is she three green green? Uh, five total, two of which must be so green. Three green green. Okay. But if you hit a green source, you're paying, you're playing your Aether Herder on three and your Nissa on four, which is bonkers. Mm-hmm. So like if this, if this hand if one of those mountains was a forest, obviously you snap keep that. That's not the, where I'm going at here, but if one of those mountains is a forest, your win percentage with this deck is probably heavily tilted in your favor. So right there, that's what I'm looking at. That's my first thing I'm looking at. What are my odds to win? If I hit, if I hit with this hand. So then you got to figure out what your odds are to actually hit, multiply those two together, see what your win probability is and go from there. Yeah. So nine forests in the deck. So nine over 33 is, let me just run the math here. Dave, did you do the math already? I I did, but I'm going to stop you because you actually cheated and got a step ahead. Uh Oh, okay. Because you said if you draw forest or red cards. Yes. That's a big deal to recognize. Not everyone is going to recognize that. You don't have to draw a forest and have this hand explode and roll over your opponent. You can draw a red card. 
So you, you go ahead and run your numbers on the calculator. I just wanted to say that's a big thing to think about. All right. So nine nine times four is a is a is thirty. Nine times four. Oh, I did. I did actually do the math. I was going to say you should do the math. I don't want to do the math here, but basically, I actually want to walk through how I estimate this. So if I'm doing it on paper, um, you know, nine into thirty three is pretty close to nine into thirty six, which is about uh, what's it, twenty five percent, right? Mm -hmm. Nine times four is thirty six. So you're looking at twenty five percent to get it off the first one. Um, and if you have, were you on the draw or on the play? You're on the draw, the draw. so you have two looks. So my estimation is. How, how you do math in in probability when you're trying to figure out at least one, the easiest way to do is to do the math for not hitting any and then working backwards from there. So the math to hit not hit any is uh, just hitting forests is about one in, or a three and four times three and four. So 75% times 75%, which is uh, three and four, three and four, uh, nine sixteenths. So you're, that's around 50-50. So you're about 50-50 just to hit a land on, or just to hit a forest on turn two. That's not even factoring the red cards. They get to buy you another turn. Mm -hmm. So if I'm 50-50 just to completely steamroll my opponent with this, plus I have what we call, what I call in poker, or we call in poker, uh, redraws, or like um, basically if you don't get there on the first card, you can get there on the second card. Your odds just go way up. I don't even need to do the rest of the math. I'm just sold, right? Yeah. Like 50-50 to basically just outright win the game. Plus all the extra win percentage that I get if I hit any other card or I draw my forest on a later turn. Yeah. So basically, Dave is very close here. The exact math, according to the hypergeometric calculator, is you're 48% to have a forest by turn two. You are. That was close. You are very close. You are 63% to have a forest by turn three. The odds of hitting one forest or a red three drop or a colorless three drop or cathartic reunion, which is in the deck are 90%. So basically get wrecked chat that told you not to, or that you should have mulliganed. Except I drew all green cards from there and lost the game. Ended up discarding two hand size. That feels so bad, but I mean, you can't look at the results. No, and that's, that's what I'm saying. And this was a big one. I'm in a PPTQ. If I win this, I get the token. If I lose it, I don't. It's game three. Like, that's why I left out all of the pressure that's here. Because it's just the math. So I actually got lucky here. There was a 10% chance that this hand would fail drastically. And I hit it. There was another example on stream of keeping a one lander. And everybody's screaming at me that you can't keep this. You can't keep this. You can't keep this. I ran the math. We could keep it. It had a one land and a prophetic prism. So like the draws that I get towards getting the next one are huge. And I'm on the draw. And, and that was the one where people said I got lucky, but it was actually about 70% for that draw to work out. So that, that's why I'm saying a big part of this is like, just take your emotion out of this, look at the math. And then if the math says you're over 50%, you're probably good to go because mulliganing is going to put you down into the the 40s at, at the worst. It's true. You do have to factor in the chance you have to win though, right? Like, so for example, if your, if your hand was you know, mountain, 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 and then didn't have a druid and didn't have Nyssa and had maybe a couple of seven drops. Like, I don't know where, why you would have seven drops. The, exactly. You, People make the, that argument. And I'm going to interrupt you there for just a second because everybody's, well, what about the hand that has two lands and all seven drops? I'm like, what kind of deck did you build? You're a monster. <laughs> like you don't need to worry about mulliganing. Let's go back to deck construction. To deck construction. But 
the the fifty fifty rule that you you kind of tout on scream uh, on on scream on stream is like I slightly disagree with you there. I don't think you should always just say if it's over fifty percent you should go for it, but I, I think you still need to factor in like how good is this hand? And generally speaking, the hand is going to be good enough to get there, but there will be times when, you know, you might be 60% to get there and you're like, well, like this hand just, I don't know. Maybe you just have nothing but renegade maps in your hand. You can't keep that obviously. Right. So I guess that factors in though, because if, if you need, if you have a bunch of seven drops in your hand and you have three lands, you need to hit running land. So you should be calculating how do you hit your, you know, how do you get to your seventh land drop or what are your odds to hit creatures instead of land? So maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe the 50, maybe I just talked myself into this. Maybe the 50, 50 rule is, is correct. You just have to apply it differently. If, if your hand is, is bad, you're looking to hit different outs, right? So for example, in my example, if you didn't have Druid and Nissa, your outs that you're looking to hit are not lands. You're looking to hit red spells Mm -hmm. instead, right? You're looking to hit cathartic reunion and, and twos and three drops. So you need to factor that in as well. Yeah. And like I said, imagine that you drew 10 cards in, in magic instead of seven, and then you didn't draw a card for the first three turns. Like that completely changes what you're going to be keeping and what you're not going to be keeping. Mm-hmm. And roughly one out of three cards in your deck is a land. So like I, I, I've just seen people send back hands that they don't need to send back. I've seen it on other people's streams. I've seen it in videos. I've had people ask me for advice on Mulligan. Like jokingly, I will say, I actually played a game against KYT while we were at, um, God, I think it was GP Providence where we were just playing with our our team um, team sealed decks. And I said, keep before I looked at the hand. Like this has been, <laughs> and I was doing that to mess with him. You know, and we played the game out and it was fine because most, most limited hands, you should just keep. But let, let's go on through to another example. Sure, sure, this sure. Is, I think I've got a really good example here. Yeah, this is from another stream that I watch on occasion. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. It's from, I don't watch it. It's from Dave's stream. Uh, this is an Aether Revolt draft on February 7th. <laughs> We're on the draw. The opener is Mountain Times 2, Plains Times 4, Chandra's Revolution. The deck has 16 lands and a map. For odds, we're going to count the map as a land. Yeah. Yeah. So is this a keep, Dave? I ended up keeping it uh, for a couple of reasons, but we're not going to worry about the matchup. We're going to worry about the math. So what you left out is the number of twos and threes that were in my deck. And I had a fair number of twos and threes that were action worthy. So um, I don't have the exact number here. Do you remember the exact number? It was Uh, something like 11. I have the exact odds for you. I did do the math on those. Was it 11 twos and threes? Uh, I I can tell you that after doing the math, you were 52% to hit a two drop by turn two and 85% to hit a two or three drop by turn three. So there you go. So we had an interesting conversation about this on stream. So I looked at it and I factored in the fact that I had double white, which I needed for one of my cards. I had Chandra's Revolution, which is a, a, a decent kind of tempo play, put my opponent behind, hopefully. Um, and, and removes most things that my opponent would play. I factored in the numbers of of twos and three drops that I had. And it's like, well, as long as I don't draw all land, right, I will probably get there by turn four and have something to play and be playing magic. Um, my deck topped out at six and I had lots of twos, threes, and fours, mix of creatures and removals and things like that. Um, I also factored in my opponent's deck. So it was in game two, and my opponent played a slow, dirtily, double pacification array, few creatures, didn't show a lot of removal kind of deck. And I thought to myself, I don't need to be explosive here. 
why would I go to six when I can just, you know, eventually draw into creatures? And if my opponent plays pacification arrays and I don't have anything on board, it's just a dead card for them anyway. So, so I kind of factored all of that together and I said, well, my odds of getting there, twos and threes and fours are really good. Plus I have a chance to win, even if I'm kind of slow and, and, and a little behind. So I kind of all factored all that together. And then chat told me I was dumb for doing it. And then I proceeded to draw land off the top on my first one. And I was like, am I not going to get there? But we took the emotion out of it. We, we did the math and we just had faith in the odds and we got there. Yeah. And I actually agree with that keep because of the taking opponent's deck into fact, uh, factoring in the opponent's deck. Like that's the last piece that I can't exactly give you a percentage point for, right? Is that hand is not keepable in some scenarios because you're still like 33% to draw land roughly every draw step from there, right? Mm. Like you're going to draw more lands and the deck topped out at six. Like you just legitimately had nothing else to do with those lands. But if you know your opponent's not putting you under any pressure at all, it's really not a problem. If we're keeping this against a hyper aggro deck that's playing Toolcraft Exemplar, Nerd Ape, you know, a, a bunch of just really aggressive stuff on the draw. You can't keep that at all. You've got a mulligan and get a two drop and right. you can take things like that into account as you're looking at that, your hand. I'm just saying, don't take them into account quite as, as deeply as you do. Let's say your opponent curves out with, um, with a three, one into um, a three, three into a four, three in game one and rolls you over. That doesn't mean they're an aggro deck. You saw three cards out of their deck. Like, that may be the only two drop that was in their deck and they meant to put it in there to block the other person's two drop. Um, so like calculate how long did the game go? Did you play a 20 turn game where you saw most of their deck and you really know what you're up against and you can make a good decision? Or did you play five turns and then scoop them up after you missed your next land drop? So you didn't show them a card discarding to hand size. Like all of this comes into play and I can't give you the odds on that, but I can tell you generally speaking you mulligan too much. <laughs> if you've got some friends to play with, play a couple games of limited where you're not allowed to mulligan and see how it works out. I think you would be surprised. I think you would be surprised as well. I would definitely be surprised. But um, yeah, I think the key when it comes to evaluating what your opponent is doing is just like thinking about how often does the hand that you have beat your opponent. And obviously in the dark in game one, you don't know that information. So game one, I don't know if I keep that or mulligan that. It's tough to say. The average limited deck is not hyper aggro, so maybe I'll keep it. Um, but I think I, I think we played the first game like 14 or 15 or 16 turns, and I eventually got through all their pacifications arrays and things like that. And so because I had that information, I looked at my hand and I'm like, well, if it was just seven random cards, I'd probably give myself, given no, giving what I know about my deck, more than a 50% chance to win just on how my deck is constructed to to go up against this one. I have a lot of cheap threats. I have, you know, removal for their one or two creatures that we ended up seeing. And because of that, I think that helped me make that decision. So, you know, I could I might have kept a one card hand that was just Chandra's Revolution, for example. Um, because I, I'll get there eventually, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 interesting. And most of the most important piece in all of this is that 12% that you lose when you go down, right? So you need to weigh that heavily in your decision. Like you are just giving up one game out of every 10. You're getting you two mulligan. for one. You're getting two for one every time you mulligan and the scry doesn't change it because all you're looking for with the scry and limited, like let's be honest, when you scry, you're looking to hit a land drop or to put a land on the bottom. That just doesn't matter because the top card of your library is something like a third of a chance to be a land anyway. 
Like that's just not a card. Things where you can scry and then draw a card, things where you can scry repeatedly, that's where you hear pros say that scrying is worth half a card. It's just not when you mulligan because you've already been two for one. Let's say you've been one and a half for one. That still doesn't particularly feel good. Like whenever your opponent plays um, an Aether Pooper and then you have to trade an actual card for the Servo and they've still got the one, two laying around, you're like, oh God, that felt bad. Even if you're not buying with me that, that Scrying is getting two for one, it's that. It's you trading an actual card for a Servo and they still have a one, two attacking in you in the air. You got one for one and a half and it doesn't feel good. It does not feel good. Although to be fair, mulliganing... Like looking at your six and deciding if you want to keep or not is so much easier with the scry than it used to be, right? Like, like I feel a lot better, even if my win percentage is not going up, I feel a lot better about scry, about going to six. That's probably wrong, but it, it, they definitely got rid of a lot of the field ads with that, mul- with that, with that scry rule. Um, I wonder, actually, I'm just looking back at your stats here. It's interesting. The stats, the win percentage definitely jumped. Uh, on five cards between the the non Vancouver Mulligan and the and the Vancouver Mulligan, so it's interesting that scrying on five has more of an impact than scrying on six does to if, the win rate. If by jump you mean two percentage points, then yeah, four percentage. I mean, depends. Like you know, obviously depends on the format, but like you know, when when you're down in the twenties, two percent is is it know, matters it significant matters. right but yeah but anyway I, th- that's interesting to me i, I didn't really realize that uh, that the, the scry didn't impact limited as much but i mean it makes sense limited is, is about rock hard advantage for the most part and the more cards you draw the more card advantage you have exactly so that that's all i'm saying guys keep more hands draw more cards win more games i like it Anything else to say on this topic, or do you want to let chat debate the finer points of uh, our our keeper mall discussion? <laughs> Leave your comments here on the page on manadeprived.com. We'd love to see what you have to think about this. Happy to have you stop by my stream or Dave's stream and talk to us about it as well. Absolutely. What uh, speaking of streams, what do you got going on? You mentioned a uh, PPTQ or a PTQ. Oh yeah, uh, streaming PTQ finals this Sunday. Uh, typically, I stream a lot of the PPTQs, preliminary Pro Tour qualifiers, as well as plenty of H3 Revolt drafts. So that's all still going on on the stream. Anytime you guys and gals want to stop by and say hello, we'd love to have you. If you can't be there for it live, you can still come by and watch the replays. Um, you just have to yell at your screen instead of typing it in chat when I do something stupid. Um, but that's that's almost just as much fun. Uh, so come by and check it out. I've Absolutely. noticed you've been streaming a lot more. I've actually managed to catch a few of them. Yes, actually, it's uh, the triumphant return to Twitch. Um, yeah, it's it's been really good so far. So had some a nice host from one of my favorite streamers. That was hard to say. One of my favorite streamers um, the other day, and it was really cool. But we've had uh, some You're new viewers, some old viewers. <laughs> And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So I hope to do that, uh, you know, a little more regularly here twice, three times a week. And when I'm not talking to you on this lovely podcast. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun. And Aether Revolt, it's it's fun. Magic is fun. New formats are fun. Everything is fun. I love magic. I love magic online. I love playing. It feels good to win. So I'm going to stop mulliganing and hope that all of my opening hands have two lands. There you go. That's what I wish for. So, And may all of your hands be zero lands and you have to mulligan so that you go to six. And I can <laughs> troll you from chat. You're a monster. I am a monster. But at least 
I know how to mulligan now. Yes, yes. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and we will catch you next time. Adios.